Please turn in your New Testaments to Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. The word of the Lord. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Once upon a time, there was a king, and this king had a massive kingdom and a beautiful palace, and he sent messengers out into his kingdom with the most incredible offer that if they would just leave their dwelling place, leave their house, and move into the palace, he would not only let them live in the palace, they could eat at his table, they would have everything they would ever need, but he would actually adopt them into his family, and they would be heirs of the throne and the wealth of the throne. And as wonderful as this was, uh, a lot of people did accept the offer. There were people who weren't interested, believe it or not. But a lot of people said, I, I want to do that. And uh, so they moved into the palace. There were all these people in the palace, and it was great. At least at first, it was great. Because they just enjoyed this, this celebration of the newness of this relationship and and the king was so celebratory and, and, and focusing so much of his affection on, on all these new children that he had and, and all the, the celebrating of, of all that could be and, and all that was. And they were getting used to this royal treatment and getting used to having more than they ever dreamed. But, you know, um, the king explained to them that part of being in the palace was to relate to people outside the palace in such a way that would well represent him. And the king not only loved them and, and gave them things, but the king also assigned them each meaningful work for them to do. So they kind of had a life now in the kingdom. But being human beings, it wasn't but a week or so later that they began to fail. In fact, one of them stole something from the king. And in front of everyone, the king hauled this person in front and center and said, after all that I've given you, I've withheld nothing, you would steal? Do you really have any need and you steal from me? I'm not sure how long we need a thief living in this palace. Everybody was kind of taken aback by that confrontation. And about a week later, somebody else was dragged in front of the king and this this. This person had lied and been caught lying. And then when the king asked in a private audience, when the king asked about the lie, he lied to the king. Have I not been truthful with you? The king said in front of everyone. Have, have I ever said one thing to mislead you? And will you now as my son be a misleading person? Will you represent me to my kingdom as, as a liar? But I tell you what really upset him was when they were slacking on the work that he had given them to do. Some of them didn't show up. Some of them were doing their, the work that he gave them to do half-heartedly and um, the king just thundered, after all I've done for you and I give you work and it's meaningful work 
And you're never able to repay me. And all I ask is, is for you to, to function in this, in this role, even though it will never come up to the level of what I've given you. I'm waiting on you to change. I'm waiting on you to be somebody that would actually perform like me in this role that I've given you. You get the picture. What started out as just really great became an utter nightmare. First, everybody appreciated how generous the king was, how loving and how easy that, that the, the gifts and, and coming into the palace. But now it was, it was as if nothing was free. A few of them even privately wondered to themselves, maybe I would have been better off if I'd just not come here at all. Now, obviously, this is an analogy of the Christian life and a poor one at that, on purpose. It's grossly overstated. Our king, Jesus, is not like that king at all. And salvation isn't like that at all. But that is the way a lot of people see it. That is the way a lot of people relate to God and, and feel that he, what He really thinks about them. And you know, it started with amazing grace. And, and, and then I was in and, and the King wanted me. And, and now it's, it's all about what I'm not able to do or what I've done wrong and I'm not good enough anymore. And God is certainly... Not like that. So I guess we need to change the story to make it right, right? So why don't we do a little mending of the, um, amending rather, of the story. So we'll, let's have the king. Let's go back. Rewind the tape. Let's go back. Let's have the king. He brings everybody in. It's a free gift. Are you with me so far? This is before the story went bad, right? And now, instead of him ever confronting them about their lying or their stealing, and now instead of him giving them meaningful work, he's not going to give them anything to do and he doesn't care. He just wants them to know how much he loves them. Now that's not a good story either, is it? You see what I'm saying? That there's something, you can tell these stories from different angles. How about this? How about that the king brings people into his palace based on his grace, that is something that he does alone, nothing that they can contribute and he continues to love them through their sin, and that grace never goes away, and they're able to repent of their sin, they're able to walk with God, and he gives them meaningful work, and they're able to discover meaningful life with the king in the grace of God, growing and becoming the people that the king has in mind for them to be. John Newton put it this way in his Famous song, Amazing Grace. Some of you may know this verse. It's one of the littler known verses. Through many dangers, toils, and snares. Do you all know this one? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that has led me safe thus far. Here it is. And grace will lead me home. The Apostle Paul put it this way in verse 6. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue in Him. That the grace that we have when we come into a relationship with God is the same grace that we need every day. That the whole point of knowing God is the relationship that has been brokered by God Himself. You know, all bad theology either starts with a faulty view of who we are or a faulty view of who God is. 
Either God is not very holy and we can, we're good enough to get to Him, or maybe we're not that bad and we think that He's holy and we can become holy enough. None of that works. The, the gap between man and God can only be bridged by the very action of God. And when God bridged that action by sending His Son, He completely did everything necessary and then offered full relationship into the palace, heirs together with Jesus Love, everything needed for life, he offered that as a gift. And that relationship never goes away because it's based on the work of Jesus. That it's not just grace that saves me, but grace that sustains me. Can you say today, as a sinner, as a Christian who's a sinner, I really need the power of God in my life. I do not have the resources to live the Christian life apart from God. Can you say that today? Because that is the truth. So let's look at this passage in terms of that, that verse in Amazing Grace. Why don't we just look at the passage in terms of this sentence? And grace will lead me. The first is this notion of it's all rooted in grace. In Colossians 2, 6, salvation is a gift. So then, he says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, that salvation is something that we receive. We are passive when it comes to knowing God. It is something that God has done on our behalf. It is something offered to us. We didn't earn it. We simply received it. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, it is a gift. And what's fascinating is, you notice the words Christ Jesus, the Lord. Uh, The word uh, Christ means Messiah or the sent one, the anointed, the sent one. The word Jesus means Savior. So basically it says, just as you have received all that, the the one who is sent, who is the Savior, who's done all of this, that it's rooted in grace. But notice in verse 6 it says, just as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, that Jesus Christ is not only the sent one, He is not only the Savior, but He is the Lord. And that means that He has all authority in heaven and earth. What that means is that we are secure by what He did as our Savior. But look, we are no less secure because of who He is as King of kings and Lord of lords. That we actually have a relationship based with Him based on a gift that we receive, but He's the one in charge. And so it brings great comfort to ourselves that Jesus Christ is not only the Savior, but He is the Lord. We gain forgiveness and we gain leadership. From Jesus. He is the Lord. Salvation is not being about being good enough to qualify. It's about the sent one who actually did it, who is the Lord. Do we understand how complete and amazing grace is? The answer is, yeah, I mean, we kind of get that. A lot of us get that. The question, I think, though, as we move forward into what about when you get into the palace and how does that look? Will we ever get over it? You know, will grace continue to mean something to us once we're in the palace? So what about when you get in the palace? We go, okay, I got it. I can't bring anything to the equation. God sent His Son, who's the the Messiah and the Savior, and, and He's the Lord. I got it. Well, let's go back to grace will lead me. Verse 6, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. Rooted and built up in Him, 
strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with translation with um, thankfulness some of the translations say not live in him they say walk in him that god actually has a purpose for our lives to be in him to receive him to know him based on this gift to love him but you know god has a purpose and the chief end of man if you'll remember is not to get saved and to just know you're loved by god What's the chief end of man? It's to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. It's to be in relationship with him and to be shaped and to walk with him. We are actually becoming somebody as we fully know Jesus. And this is a good thing because here's the truth. There's a certain level in which we know that it certainly is Christ in us, but nobody can do our walking for us. Christ can bring his power to bear within us. We also know that it is Christ in us, but the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And because of that, nobody can live the life for you. Nobody can walk the walk for you. This is where sometimes we switch tracks, you see, from, oh yeah, in salvation, it's all about what God does But now it's all about what we're going to do. We kind of move from a grace track to a kind of a works track. So if nobody can walk for me, remember the king? You better get walking. Move it, Sergeant Carter. Move it, move it, move it. And you better start walking right. And you better start representing me the way I want to be represented in this world. There was a popular bible study back in the 90s i mean it was huge uh i think it was if i remember correctly it was every week i suppose you got christmas and and thanksgiving off every week for three years if i remember correctly it was called colossians 2 7 do any of y'all remember colossians 2 7 colossians 2 7 was a bible study that that a parachurch ministry brought that people would go through and i mean it was incredibly detailed training and um in fact i want to read to you a little bit from the official literature of colossians 2 7 colossians 2 7's purpose is quote practice this is they still offer it practical bible study techniques scripture memory skills strengthening for the devotional life how to be an effective effective in evangelism for christians to overflow with gratitude in their everyday lives and to enjoy a stable, consistent Christian walk, and to be instructed and trained so that the Christian can have an impact on their community. You know what I say about that? Perfect. Love it. All of that is right. Is it not? that we? Hey, we're going to grow in the Word. We're going to memorize the Word. We're going to learn how to share uh, the faith. We want to you know, overflow with gratitude. We want to be a, a witness in this world. Perfect. This is great. But you know what the problem I have with that is? You're probably wondering if you just said it's perfect, what's the problem? It's got the wrong title. That Bible study study should not be called Colossians 2.7. You know why? Because there's not a period after 2.6. That Bible study should be called Colossians 2.6 and 7. Because it is 6 that roots the whole point of 7. You see, if you get to all the directives of the Christian life and how to do them and to do them better and effectively, which is great, if it's not rooted in receiving Christ Jesus as the Lord and continuing in that grace to walk in Him, then we have just short-circuited 
from the very resources that are necessary to do these things, you see. Just as you received, that's the way you walk. There's like a parallelism here, is that the thing that's produced is to be like what you had at first. Back to our little story, it's great at first, we knew that the king loved us, well, guess what he still does? And the king does give us meaningful work, and the king does want us to confront our, our issues, and the king wants us to grow. And he's going to continue to love us and forgive us all the way through. Christianity, in short, needs to have Christ in the center of it. That's why it's called Christianity. If Christ and his death on the cross and the relationship and the adoption of sons and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes from that, if that is not at the center of who we are spiritually with God Almighty, then it is not distinctively Christian. But if that is at the center, then we are loved and He's got us. And He has a purpose for us. And He will not be denied. And He will confront our lying. And He will confront our stealing. And He will give us meaningful work. And His, his power will be a loving power that works in our lives. You see, that's the, the false teachers that had come into Ephesus. Uh, you know, if you're new here, you hadn't heard this, you've been tracking with me, they're the ones saying, oh yeah, Jesus, great. But certainly knowing Jesus isn't the most important thing. There are much deeper spiritual truths that we want to teach you other than just knowing Jesus. We're, we have these secret, wonderful, mystical ways to be able to pray to God. If you'll pray just the way we teach you to pray, say just the right words and, and have all these, everything will begin to come true for you. Because we know, the, we know the really deeper stuff, the really important stuff. Jesus kind of just gets you in the door. Paul says, no, it begins and ends with a relationship with the living God through Jesus that is just alive. It is the grace of God active in our lives. We never graduate from our connection and focus on Jesus because salvation is by grace and the walk is a grace walk. How do I know that? Just as you have received the sent one, the Savior who is the Lord, just as you've received him, continue to walk in him. And then the things that he tells us. One scholar says the process of growing in the Christian life is not starting with Christ and then moving on to something else, but it is starting on Christ and remaining in utter dependence upon him every step of the way as we are conformed in his image. I love that because it's proper. It basically says that Christ does it all to bring us to himself and it is Christ's express purpose to work in our lives by grace to shape us into who he wants us to be. And we will never be more loved by God than the first moment we received Christ because it is finished and all of it is given to us. But let me tell you, he takes us just as we are, but he doesn't leave us just as we are. And it's a wonderful thing. It's called growth. And it's a great thing. First Peter, or 2 Peter 3.18 calls growth, grow in grace. So we need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. He's the center. The growth is a growth in grace that's rooted in the cross. So let's get to verse 7. We got, we got verse 6. It's all about the grace that brings us in and there's a continuation of, of, a, of a wonderful relationship through grace with Jesus. Verse 7 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. First of all, we are to be rooted and then built up. Don't you love Paul's language? He's like, we're going to go deep into the soil of Jesus. Literally, rooted and built up in him. We are rooted into the soil of Christ. This is where the nutrients come from. This is where the health come from. But you know, it's not just, man, we're rooted in Christ. Isn't this great? There's also an expectation of growth. That out of that, that root, out of that life with God, there will be something built. That God expects there to be a building, a growing. This nourishment drawn from the grace of God causes growth. And the truth is, is that if we are in Christ, we must be built up. That is God's will for our life, to not only be rooted in Him, but to be built up. Y'all, this is, this is good. Can you get excited about growing deeper into an understanding of God's mercy, grace, and love, higher into an understanding of how that gospel works in our lives to change us and to make us the people that He wants us to become? John Calvin talked about righteousness in terms of declared righteousness through the cross, that we are declared righteous by faith and actual righteousness. Wouldn't it be great if the moment you saved, you were actually perfect in every way, but you're not. We are are in the process of becoming what we already have been declared to be because of the cross. And that process is Christian growth. It's being built up. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. John Frame says something I think that is really great. It's a great picture. He says, babies are cute. Babies are cute and delightful in many ways. But if a person were to remain a baby for 10 years... 20 years, something would be terribly wrong. We would find that baby to be something pitiful, something grotesque. You see what he's saying? He said, you know, we, we got to grow. That there's something cute about a baby and there's something cute about somebody who's new in Jesus. Man, they are so excited and their roots are down in the gospel. But you know what? God wants to shape us. The chief end of man is to glorify him as well as enjoy him. And we're going somewhere. This is wonderful. But if you're a baby after 10 years and after 20 years, it's, it's grotesque. Something's wrong. I love what A.W. Pink said. He said, it brings no glory to God that his children should be dwarves. Don't you love that? It brings no glory to God if we're these grotesque little babies that don't want to grow. Robert Murray McShane put it this way. He said, I'm, pers- I'm persuaded that nothing is thriving in my soul unless it's growing. The effect of God's grace on me is to change me, to lead me, to grow me. So we are being built up, rooted in the gospel, growing. That's kind of like what we need to do out of living in the grace of God. Verse 7, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Charles Spurgeon once said that for men to be truly one to Christ, they must be one to truth. They must be one to truth. If we're to continue to grow in grace, we're going to need the Scriptures. One scholar says, puts it this way, and I think it's so good. He says, Paul is reminding us that all Christians are founded on the faith once delivered. 
We don't just believe in believing. Now, I'm going to stop right there because that really strikes a cultural nerve. Hey, God has revealed himself. God has given us the truth. It's the faith once delivered to the apostles. It is the essential truths that represent an actual relationship and where, what it is and where it can go as God the Holy Spirit gave it to us in the Scriptures. And we don't believe in belief. It is not true that, as you hear on the big screen, that, you know, it's not important what you believe. It's just so important. What you believe is just important that you believe it. That's not true. Because if you believe something other than God being three times holy and us being ruined as selfish people who cannot reform ourselves and fall short of the glory every, God's glory every time, if you believe anything other than that, I'm going to tell you something, folks. It does not connect. And so... God's saying, let's root down in the gospel as we receive Christ. Let's continue in him. Rooted down in the grace of God. We're growing and that growth is going to be through the word of God, through the revelation of God. We don't just believe in believing. Go back to my quote. We believe in the truth. Without growing understanding, there can be no satisfying Christianity for the individual and there cannot be a stable church. That is true. This is where the grace of God wants to take us. Finally, verse 7, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. This overflow of thanksgiving is so wonderful. It kind of takes us back to receiving the grace because what it's saying is, is this is something that God gave us that we are grateful for. You know, this, this is something that we didn't deserve, that we are in possession of. Um, we are not prideful about our growth. We are just thankful to know God. Look, the word arrogant Christian should be an oxymoron, meaning the words don't go together. Unfortunately, those, that is not an oxymoron in our culture. We got some morons, all right. We got some people that are very prideful about their standing with God and their supposed godliness, but I'm going to tell you something about them. They don't get that they contributed nothing but their sin. We have nothing to be arrogant about when it comes to knowing God. We have everything to be grateful for because He did it all for us even when we were His enemies and did not deserve it. I was reading a, a quote, and I didn't include it in my notes, but I think I'll throw it in for a bonus quote. Um, several of these I saved just from my study for a later use. But I read a quote from Sinclair Ferguson that talked about the person who is prideful and in the sense that they're able to articulate so carefully their spirituality and how yours ought to be just like mine pales in comparison before God to the person who is utterly lost in the love and grace of God. And I think there's something to that. As, as you receive Christ Jesus the sent one, the Savior, who's in charge, the Lord, continue in Him, rooted down in Him, being built up in Him through the truth, being established in that truth that God has given and overflowing with thankfulness. You know, it's, it's overflowing with thankfulness. That's the last thing. It's, it's that this, this shows the Spirit's work in our lives because selfish people are not normally grateful people. Selfish people want more. They don't want to stop and say, thank you. I can't believe that I have what I have. Why did you give me this? 
Why did you come to this earth? Why did you die on the cross? Do you know why He came? We have no clue. Except for love. And why He would love me, why He would love you, I don't know. But God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. And, and this, this thankfulness is overflowing out of our lives. Yeah. The king sends out his messengers and they've got one smoking deal for anybody that wants to listen. And that is, if you'll turn away from where you live right now, turn away from all your other religion, turn away from all your self-made chemistry set religion, turn away from this and come into my palace and put your trust in what I've done, you will be my son. And I will give you everything. I will give you the kingdom. I will, you will be heirs with me. You will have everything I have and you will have heaven to boot and, and I will walk with you every single day of your life. That's the gospel. I have done it all for you. You don't have to do it anymore. Give up. Quit trying. Who in their right mind would say no to such an offer? Except for lots of people who say no to such an offer. But when we come into that kingdom, that king is a king of grace. And I, I want to quote from a song that we sang earlier. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness. He's talking about Christian life. It's an ongoing process. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon Thee, and as Thy beauty fills my soul, for by thy transforming power you have made me whole. Oh, how great thy loving kindness, vaster, broader than the sea. Oh, how marvelous thy goodness lavished on me. Yes, I rest in thee, beloved. Don't you love that? Rest in thee, beloved. Know that wealth, the wealth of grace is thine. Know thy certainty of promise. I have made it mine. And here's the one I wanted to read to you. Ever lift thy face upon me as I work and wait for thee. Isn't that wonderful? That resting in grace has to do with becoming as well. It has to do with not only waiting on God and resting in God, but it does have to do with working for God. It does have to do with how we're being changed, how we're being used for the God's glory. Ever lift thy face upon me as I work and wait for thee, resting neath thy smile, Lord Jesus, earth's dark shadows flee. Brightness of thy Father's glory, sunshine of thy Father's face, keep me ever trusting, resting. Fill me with thy grace. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Do you believe that verse 7 is rooted in in verse 6. Are you finding out the greatness of His loving heart as He is growing you for His own glory? Let's pray. Lord, even as we go out from this sanctuary today, even as we sing this wonderful song, Higher Ground, in a celebratory way, that, Lord, that You're the one who lifts us up. You're the one who's going to take us all the way to heaven. That there is not there's just no sense that you're going to ever drop us. You're not. Thank you that you love sinners like us. Thank you for your patience and your loving grace. 
Thank you for your dogged persistence and the work and of your spirit, the conviction of your spirit, Lord. And thank you for your heart for us that is so great and all that you want to do in and through our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name.